Hello? 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 Cool, cool. At this moment, uh, we're going to dismiss all the threes and four-year-olds. You can follow Kirsten in the back, and y'all dismiss to your classrooms. Um, I'm not going to lie to you all today. I I feel sort of a uh, hot. Ooh. I feel sort of a weight on me for you all and and for me. Step back. There we go. When Brandon called me on Wednesday and asked me to to preach, the first text that, that popped in my mind was James 1 verses 2 through 12 which if, if you know anything about those verses those verses are strangely providential for just the kind of week that I've just heard that most of y'all and that I have had this week so this morning we'll be in James 1 Verses 2 through 12. So, so while you are turning to James 1, I want to ask you all a question. What is your viewpoint on the trials of life? Is your viewpoint one of fear? Where you, you see the trials of life as sort of the, the cosmic boogeyman just waiting in the dark to grab you and steal everything you hold dear? Or is it one of anger when you kind of you shake your spiritual fist at God and accuse him of being unjust towards you? Or is it one of trust where you believe God to be good and right and giving you both good times and difficult times? And if you arrived at, at James 1, I invite you, if you are able to stand for the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Counting all joy, my brothers, will you meet trials of various kinds? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable, in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like the, the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the grass, his flowers fall and his beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, 
which God hath promised to those who love them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So to give us some background on the book of James as a whole, the writer of this short letter is actually the, the half-brother of Jesus. Interest, interestingly enough, James did not become a follower of Jesus until after his resurrection, according to 1 Corinthians 15:7. And another interesting fact about the apostle James is that his nickname throughout church history was, in fact, Camel Knees, strangely enough. And the reason he was named that was because he had these large calluses that formed on his knees due to the amount of time he spent in prayer. The book of James has over 50 commands in only five chapters and is referred by many biblical scholars as the Proverbs of the New Testament due to its very practical and straightforward nature. The primary purpose of the book of James is to encourage Christians to pursue Christian maturity. And one area in this short letter that the Apostle James addresses is how Christians view the trials of life. As we look at the text this morning, I want us to notice five viewpoints of trials that James gives us so that we can make the most of our trials and pursue Christian maturity. Starting in verse 2, James writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And I want you all to notice what James did not say in this verse. He did not say, count it all joy, my brothers, if you meet trials of various kinds. He said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What James is expressing here in verse 2 is that the trials we face in life are the norm and not the exception. Jesus would say something similar to his disciples in John 16, 33, which says this. You will have suffering. Some translations of that verse inserts the word trials in place of suffering. You will have sufferings or trials in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Viewpoint number one. Trials are inevitable. Trials are inevitable. Because we live in a broken world with broken bodies and broken relationships, this viewpoint of trials as inevitable is not a difficult truth for us to understand, right? We will only have to turn on our phones for, turn on our phones and scroll for a few minutes to see people going through trials worldwide, whether it be war in Ukraine, school shootings in Texas, hurricanes in the Gulf sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention, humanitarian crisis in Africa, human rights violations in China, and the list goes on and on. Brothers and sisters, trials are inevitable. However, we as believers 
all have a strange habit of being extremely surprised and perplexed whenever these trials come crashing into our lives. We frequently think that because of our ease of lending, our income, and our, or even our own sense of righteousness and godliness, that we should be exempt for some of the trials of life that believers face on the other side of the world every day. But if the pandemic, the hurricane, and high gas prices has taught us anything, is that the trials of life do not care who you are, who you know, where you live, how much money you make, or how much you read your Bible, pray, and tithe. James referred to drop home this point as he writes starting in verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, it flowers, fall, and its beauty perishes. So also would a rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. These verses show us that the riches of the rich will pass away like the flowers of the field, and that the rich should be glad when it happens. Because ultimate trust does not belong to riches. It belongs to Jesus Christ alone. When we view our trials as inevitable, it helps us to become more mature believers because it makes us proactive in preparing for them. Just as a few months ago, we all prepared physically for Hurricane Ida, so also must we prepare spiritually for the inevitable trials that life throws away. However, I will admit that it is challenging to prepare for trials when you don't know when it is coming or how severe it is once it gets here, which leads us to our second viewpoint. Viewpoint number two, trials are unpredictable. Trials are unpredictable. Look at me again in verse two. Count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you meet trials of various kinds. The word various in that verse is actually the Greek word where we get the English word polka dot, interestingly enough. And it just fits this context so beautifully because just as polka dots come in all shapes, and sizes so also do the trials of life. This truth was especially evident when I served as a summer missionary back in 2019. So on Mondays during that summer was our off days. And one off day, we went to this very touristy part of Vancouver called Granville Island. While a couple of the other summer missionaries stayed back to go to a local park and read and hammock. When we got back, it was obviously that something was up with those two. And turns out, while they were hammocking in the park, they were attacked by a bear. They were fine, though. Uh, <laughs> physically speaking, they were fine. But obviously, emotionally and mentally, they were kind of shaking up the rest of the summer. And on top of that, Leah was one of the girls' names. Her grandmother, who lived with them probably for the past four or five years, actually died during that time as well. 
So she had to leave Vancouver early to go home and mourn and grieve. I tell you this story because I am 100% positive that my friends did not wake up this morning, wake up that morning expecting to be attacked by a bear as no sane person ever would. Or no one wakes up in the morning expecting to be notified of a death in the family. To bring this closer to home, no one wakes up in the morning expecting their plans for the next one, two, three, four years to be blown up by a mysterious virus coming from China called COVID-19. Trials are unpredictable like that. And when we view trials as unpredictable, we can hold fast to Christ when these trials come. Because even though we do not know when or how severe these trials may be, Christ knows. And to trust Christ regardless of what lies ahead is to grow in Christian maturity. To mature in Christ means not only to understand that trials of various kinds come into our lives, but it also means that we must understand that trials come into our lives for a purpose. James writes in verses 3 and 4 this, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Viewpoint number three, trials are purposeful, purposeful. Trials are purposeful. Now, this viewpoint of trials, in my opinion, is probably the most difficult viewpoint of trials for us to have. Would you agree? Because when the trial is fresh, on the mind and on the heart. It is really past, it's really hard to see past the grief, the sadness, the anger, to the greater purpose that lies behind the trial. For some of you, this may be the first time you have ever heard that there is a divine purpose behind the trials in your life. And you may be wondering what that is. Unfortunately, God does not leave us in the dark. Look at me again at verses 3 and 4. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Wow. Reading this verse should call to mind Peter's words in 1 Peter 6, 7, where he writes this. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Keeping 1 Peter 6, 7 in mind, we see that God's purpose for our trials is quite simple. It is to refine our faith and to grow us into spiritually mature people. This is what James is talking about when he says that you may be perfect 
incomplete, lacking nothing. And God in his infinite wisdom knows that the valleys and low points of life serve as far superior teaching devices than the mountaintops and high places. Go figure. It is written in verse 3 that the trials of life produces steadfastness. And that word steadfastness is defined as the characteristic of a person who is not swerved from his or her devotion to God by even the greatest trials and sufferings. This word is also found in Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, when it says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we look at Romans 3, 5, alongside James 1, verses 3 and 4, we see that the trials of life serve as the starting point of a chain reaction of growth that culminates in us as believers being made complete or mature in Christ. Now, I know what you may be thinking. There are a lot of people all over the world who are unbelievers who go through trials every day. Because last time I checked, Christians aren't the only people who have family members die. Christians aren't the only people that get sick. So what is the purpose of trials in the life of the unbeliever? To answer that question, I will tell you about a trial that I faced in a high school that should hopefully provide clarity to that question. So when I was in ninth grade, my, my grandfather, my dad's father, was actually shot to death over reasons that I, I frankly still don't know to this day. Nobody tells me anything, so it's just whatever. Um, but at his funeral, I remember vividly praying, praying to the Lord for strength not to cry that day. And then the crazy part about that is that I wasn't even a believer in ninth grade. I didn't become a believer until my senior year in high school. But I knew that that day I had no power within me not to cry. So I did the only thing I knew how to do. I prayed. And the Lord answered. So to answer your question, I believe that God sends trials to the unbeliever in order to draw them out of their sinful self-reliance so that they will seek God and trust him for not only passage through their trials, but also for the forgiveness of their sins. To use a biblical example, if you remember back in Acts 9, God blinds Saul and leaves him starving in Damascus for three days so that Saul would be in a position where he would have no other choice but to put his complete trust and faith in God and do whatever he says. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe God is using a particularly difficult season in your life, time in your life, in order to draw you out of the mindset that you can make it through this life alone. 
Because you can't. If that's you today, I want to invite you to turn from your misguided view of self-sufficiency to the God who is sufficient. To not only carry you through your trials, but also more importantly, to save you from your sins. Because God has a purpose for our trials, it also means that God desires a righteous response to our trials. And this reality is our fourth viewpoint. Viewpoint number four, trials require a response. Look with me at verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What we see in verses 5 through 8, as well as earlier in verses 2, is that James gives us, as believers, two very distinct ways we should respond to trial. You can think of this as kind of like subpoints under the viewpoint number four. So, subpoint number one seeking wisdom. And as I was studying this passage and got to verses 5 through 8, I I began to wonder to myself, why does James, out of all the things he could tell us to pray for, why does he ask us to seek wisdom? Like, why not strength? Why not power? Why not just just drop an easy button from heaven so that we can hit and get out of our trials? Why out of all things, wisdom? And this is why I love reading Old Dead God. Because Warren Wiersbe, a well-known Bible scholar, gives us a great answer to this question. He writes, we need wisdom so that we do not waste the opportunities God is giving us to mature. Wisdom helps us understand how to see these circumstances for our good and for God's glory. Church, we need wisdom because without it, we miss the God-given opportunity to experience more of God and to give him glory. Proverbs, Proverbs 4, 7 says this. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Now that we know that we need wisdom, the question that, nas- that naturally arises is this. How do we get it? How do we get wisdom? More specifically, how do we get wisdom when the roof is caving in on our sanity and the floodwaters are up to our neck and we feel like we're going to drown? How do we get wisdom in that moment? Verse 5. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea 
driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all its ways. What we see in the text is that we get wisdom by asking God in faith, no doubting. And doubting is defined in this verse as having a divided mind with divided affections between God and this world, between belief in the promises of God and unbelief in the promises of God. When the trials of life come barging through the front door, prayer is usually heading out the back. And James is encouraging us today to not let that happen. Brothers and sisters, let us follow James's example and be a church whose first and continuing response to the trials of life is to devote ourselves to pleading with the Lord to give us wisdom and strength we need to walk faithfully through trials. Subpoint number two. Considering trials a great joy. James writes in verse two this. Count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you experience trials of various kinds. And the New Living Translation of the Bible offers just a tad bit more clarity on this verse by translating it like this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind comes your way, consider them an opportunity for great joy. When we put these two translations side by side, we see that James is communicating to us that trials are nothing to be afraid of. Rather, they serve as an opportunity to be joyous. Trials serve as an opportunity for joy because through them, God is shaping us and molding us into his masterpiece through them. Although the trials we go through in life seem unbearable at the moment, and they are most of the time, we can lay our heads on our pillows knowing that God is at work in our lives. So there is a song written by Michael W. Smith that we sing here, and the chorus says this. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You are faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. We can consider trials an opportunity for great joy by believing that reality about God, that he is at work in the mess. He is at work in the difficulty. He is with us and he is for us. Additionally, when trials come our way, we can consider them a great truth, a great joy by proclaiming with our lips this truth. God is good. Even though what I'm going through right now does not feel good at all. Job 3.15 says this. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. 
Church, God is good. Even though what we are going through right now does not feel good. We respond to the trials of life by seeking wisdom and considering them an opportunity for great joy. How we respond to the trials of life is also impacted by how much of an eternal perspective we have on the trials themselves. Look with me at verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Viewpoint number five. Trials have an eternal reward. Trials have an eternal reward. There is an eternal reward for all the trials that we go through in life, although we may never see it this side of heaven. The Apostle John echoes James's point in Revelation 2 as, as Jesus pronounces, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So what exactly is this crown of life that both James and Jesus declare that God will give to believers who persevere through trials? The word crown in those two verses is the Greek word stephanos which is the laurel crown that was, given, that was given to Greek Olympians if they won a particular sporting event. And often throughout the New Testament, the Christian life will be described in terms of a foot race, which was during that time the longest and most significant event in the Greek Olympics. Here's your fun fact for the day. Therefore, the crown of life can be defined as a special reward from God to his children for persevering through trials and hardship on their way to the finish line. Just as a runner perseveres through the difficulties of the race so that he reaches the finish line and receives the crown, so also Jesus wants to put the crown of life upon your head once you reach the finish line. And I want you all to use your your, your sanctified imaginations to imagine with me the moment in heaven when verse 12 becomes a reality. Imagine this. You can close your eyes. I won't, but you can close your eyes. Imagine this. You're walking up to Jesus with all your battle scars and wounds that you receive during this life. You're full of bullet holes and stab wounds just from, just from suffering through life. You're walking with a bit of a limp from all the hits you took. And you finally get within arm's reach of him. And before words ever leave your mouth, Christ himself places this crown on your head and says, well done. You suffered well. You persevered. Come, enter into the joy of your Savior. Brothers and sisters, at that moment, 
every single ounce of earthly suffering will seem light and momentary. Cancer, light, momentary. COVID, light, momentary. Miscarriages, light, momentary. Marital struggles, light, momentary. Wayward children, light, momentary. Divorce, light, momentary. Singleness, light, momentary. Hurricanes, light, momentary. Poverty, light, momentary. Struggles against sin, light, momentary. Even death itself on that day will seem light and momentary. St. Rose Community Church, brothers and sisters, do you believe this to be true? Do you believe this to be true? Because it is in this eternal reality that we have any hope of persevering. It is in this eternal reality that we can declare with the Apostle Paul, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do you believe this? If you do, cling to it. With all the strength the good Lord has given you, and grab the arms of your brothers and sisters who struggle and help them. This is why the church exists. The church exists to be a community of suffering sinners bound together by the blood of Christ to help one another make it to that faithful day when we see our God face to face. If you find trouble believing not only this viewpoint of trials, as having an eternal reward, but any other viewpoints that I have laid before you this morning, I just want to encourage you. Turn with me to Hebrews 12. Everyone turn with me to Hebrews 12. I want you all to see this in the text as encouragement from God Almighty. This is the word of the Lord to you, suffering saints. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. To the brother or sister that struggles to have a right viewpoint of their trials, Here is God's encouragement to you. Consider Jesus. Verse 3 again says, Consider him who endured from from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus faced persecution, hardships, and the wrath of Almighty God, so that we may have salvation from our sins, 
and so that we will not give up when we are bombarded with the trials of life. So if you find yourself discouraged, run to Jesus, cling to him, for he will open your eyes to view the trials as he has shown us in the text. I'll close with two takeaways and a question. Takeaway number one, don't go through trials alone. This is why we gather. This is why we are covenanted together as a community of faith, so that when one member suffers, we all suffer. So that when one member is joyous, we are all joyous and glad together. Do not go through trials alone. This is why the church exists. Amen? Takeaway number two. Don't give up. Don't give up. We just, we just saw that trials have an eternal reward, that Christ is waiting for you on the other side with a laurel crown ready to place on your head saying, good job, good and faithful servant. Christ endured the cross so that you will not give up. So don't. Press on. Here's the question. How do you view the trials of life? Brothers and sisters, it's been an honor. Let's pray together. God, it's been a long week. It's been a hard week. And sometimes it feels like there's not life or light on the other side. Father, would you encourage us to press on today? Amen.